I'm John. I'm Tim. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you're going to hear topics discussed. John, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Sure. I'm John. I've uh, been on the show a few times. Always a pleasure to be here. Always, I, I, It's always such a treat, Jim, when you reach out and say, hey, do you want to be on the show? Because I'm literally always just like, I would be on the show all the time. But I don't want to be, I don't want to like become your Ed McMahon or anything. That's that's good to know. I've been reluctant to ask you a whole lot because of the time zone thing. It's not that much of a problem as long as I plan for it. And right. I think this time we had like a two week lead and that yeah. was perfect because I had I had enough time to, to like okay. figure everything out. And then I still ended up having to change it at the last change the time at the last minute. So thank you for accommodating my poor planning <laughs> elsewhere in my life. I planned Topic Lords perfectly, but I did not plan my vacation topic. But yes, I've uh, always always a pleasure to be here talking to you, Jim, and to uh, Tim in this case, and any other uh, assorted people that you know. And I don't have anything to plug. Other than, well, I have uh, a bot that exists on Twitter called Garages Covers. That uh, Is that still running? It is, it is still running. After the, after the bot purge? I don't know how much longer it's going to run. Maybe it'll. Maybe by the time people listen to this, it won't exist anymore. Or maybe the the, the place will become too much itself, and uh, <laughs> we'll just have to find greener pastures somewhere else. But for now, go go check it out. It's fun. If you like the music of the Garages and other alternative bands that you can imagine are playing Garages songs, I can show you how to set that up as a Mastodon bot if you want. Ah, uh, I mean that may be the the next frontier. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and Tim, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm Tim, and uh, I I love being on Topic Lords because um, Jim and I go back forever to when I was in fifth grade, and he taught me how to program video games. And by video wow. games, I mean text parsers that made it sound like you have silly accents um, <laughs> and, and other things, but starting there. And uh, it's just a delight to to still be doing this after uh, thirty years or something. I uh, I guess the only thing that's uh, pluggable, but not really, unless you're an incredibly narrow band of human beings. Uh, I wrote a, a C plus plus coroutines library uh, for people who want to use coroutines in C plus plus. So if you're that person, the singular <laughs> person who might find that interesting, it's called Squid Tasks, and you can find it on GitHub. It's totally free. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know. I have a degree in computer science, and I don't know what a C plus plus coroutine is. That was my well. That was my, the reason for my caveat at the beginning. It's not exactly a hot topic. Really, I don't think I had any classes about C plus plus. Like I think I maybe I had one, but it was just like this is how you print Hello World, and now we're just going to talk about algorithms, which I know a lot about. <laughs> Probably a good idea in retrospect. I think good judgment on the part of your curriculum planner. Are we ready to start on some topics? Before we do that, I just want to confirm, Tim, we've met before, have we not? Yeah. I think we met. Did we meet? You were, both, the... you were both at the wedding, right? The wedding, I was yeah. Say, like, I have a memory of us. I played the mandolin. Yeah, and I, I was playing a guitar, and I think we. I think I tried to encourage us to play music from the naturalization scene from Frog Fractions. I think I that's right. I was successful. <laughs> Someone was playing the fiddle who was far more accomplished than me. And that one, the chord progression on that one is a little weird. It's great. I love it. Because it starts really mellow, and then it's like, the pre-chorus is fine, and then it goes to the chorus chorus, which is just zany. It's <laughs> glorious. It's one of the best soundtracks in the history of video games. 
Very good. Soundtrack of the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, your topic is America's self-denying culture of com- compartmentalization. I had an experience. Uh, you know, we met last on this show exactly a year ago, uh, I believe. Oh wow! I think I think it's I think it's a year ago. We got to do this more often. We should, but it's like literally December fifteenth. I think I think it's like it's like exactly a year to the day. Um, and uh, and I I realized I have a track record now of talking about like life changing experiences. You only have one about one a year, right? I know. So so it's good that we space it out. I disagree with I, your conjecture that we should we should be doing lo- more. Love seeing friends catch up. It's just yeah. really delightful. So <laughs> so I had this uh, experience where I was talking to this guy uh, who is from Mexico ancestrally, but grew up in the U.S. is American, and he was talking about um, his grandmother. He, they were talking about like doing a birthday party, and he came to realize that that it, there was a total cultural difference. Uh, from his grandmother's Mexico and his United States, where um, the idea that if your birthday landed on a Wednesday, that you would wait until the weekend to celebrate and have a party uh, is like a foreign concept, that, that you wouldn't just have a party on Wednesday. Um, and uh, we got to talking about that because I thought that is sort of, to me, very natural and obvious that you'd wait because the weekend is where the you know, fun things happen. And, uh, and what he had said was, that's not a requirement. It's that Americans sort of compartmentalize the fun stuff to weekends so it can be perfect and then deny ourselves doing fun stuff in our evenings of the weekdays because uh, it's not the time for that because we do work during the day and preparing for work during the night. And that, um, you know, he, he said that might be one of the reasons why, uh, you know, uh, American men have sex at these like scheduled cadences that this idea that like any, any night would be fine for, for anything is sort of foreign. So I, I took that to heart and I thought, what if I started to schedule stuff during the uh, work week, like Wednesday, oh, Tuesday, Tim, I have Thursday. bad news. Sorry. Just, just, just a second. It was two years ago today. Two years ago. So there we go. See, it's a good thing that we waited or I would have been absolutely, uh, just devoid Topicless. of interesting topic topics. You'd be a topic uh, peasant. Yep. So uh, anyway, uh, I started to this summer schedule stuff on my uh, my my weeks. Just on Thursdays, I did a, a movie series where I did an outdoor movie night with my friends and other people I wanted to invite, who I wanted to get to know. Come out and watch. I don't know the cartoon saloon uh, films, and uh, it was awesome. It was awesome, not just because I liked those movies and it was fun to do more fun things in a week. It, what, what it was was that I, I found myself not exhausted during the week waiting for the weekend to happen because I was waiting for Thursday to happen. Thursday was just as exciting to look forward to as the weekend. And I got to thinking that if culturally our whole culture was more inclined, we could have that be normal and have things to look forward to all week. And obviously, you'd have to bow out sometimes because you had something you need to take care of or whatever. You've got kids, it's not the perfect time. But like people, I think, have stopped trying in my social circle. People don't even propose it. Uh, and I think if we did more often, it would come together more often. Planning things to do uh, during the week. First of all, I'll say I'm in favor of that. I'm glad that it has worked out for you. I, I too, have, have taken it upon myself to get involved in things during the week. Uh, but most of those things end up being... Dungeons and Dragons, which is which is fun and exciting, 
Um, but also I'm playing with people who are in the Pacific time zone and I'm in the Eastern time zone. And so oftentimes we don't get started until like eight or nine and then we don't wrap up until midnight and then I'm very tired the next day. But I, but I, I wonder like, so when, when you do this, this movie, this movie, uh, series, uh, night, for example, like what, what are the hours of this that you're, that you're doing this? Well, it's interesting you mention it because I did two, I, I, it was an experiment. So I did every other week we alternated. So I did, uh, movies for kids that don't suck that grownups could watch and say were great movies without their kids there. Movie series one. Second was interesting, thoughtful foreign films that, uh, I love. We had a full house for the kids ones and we had like maybe one to four people for the 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 foreign film series. Now, of course, that's not exactly a controlled experiment. There are several factors at play, but the biggest determinant, I think, was that the the kids' movies uh, kicked off at uh, seven o'clock and were all eighty uh, to ninety minutes long. Intentionally, I picked films that would do that. Um, whereas the the adult movies started at uh, nine o'clock and ran two hours to two and a half. And the reason for that was because people have to get their kids to sleep if they're not going right. like, to take their kids to the movie. So um, uh, I think that the earlier time slot worked better. Uh, and if I were going to do it again, I would just do all of them earlier. And honestly, the film series is like a really summer film series when the sun goes down at eight is like a very interesting proposition. Not ideal. Um, I think that uh, if it wasn't COVID, doing an indoor screening would be better in almost every way. Uh, but we did what we could. But I would say that, yeah, like going going to bed is an issue. Being able to bring kids is an issue with my particular circle of friends. Right. I I recently got an ad in the mail for adult extracurricular sports. So like adult kickball leagues and things like that. Pickleball. <laughs> I, yeah. I, that, like I think that was on the list. And Oh, um, yeah. And even some other like, you know, football and stuff. But I'm not uh, I'm not one who's going to play football. But but uh uh, I, at the time, when I first got this flyer, I'm like, the, the cynical, uh, aged person in me is just like, what is this nonsense? And I, I think I immediately threw it in the garbage. Um, but then I went back and, and like, took a look at the website just to see you know, what, it, what is out there? What is, like, what are the rules about this? How, do, how does it work? How do you sign up for something like this? And, uh, and I think I, even, even just looking at that, I was, I was also very intimidated just because there are a lot of, considerations to go into it and it's kind of far away from where i live and so i have to drive and you know again it being winter and so it's you know driving at night is not ideal and when it could be inclement weather but this also gives me hope though because maybe maybe it means that i uh so okay so so, so the other the other thing i was thinking about around this is like you were doing this one night a week right like on a thursday have you have you given any further thought to like filling up your weeknights and just having a lot of stuff to do. I, I have. And I have to say that the reason I haven't pursued that is that when the school year started, I have discovered that, uh, simply put, big life lesson, it's not all about me. It's about my son, who has got so much shit to do every single night oh, no. that, like, 9.15 rolls around and we have, like, we have stopwatches going to schedule every last minute of the damn night to get all the homework. And all the practice and the, you know, therapy and the bath and the getting dressed and the <laughs> everything that like we start at six and it's like the shot is fired and it's go. Uh, so that being said, I'm glad you brought this up 
because you know what? Here I am. It's 10 o'clock, and I've been looking forward to this since Jim proposed it, and this is absolutely serving the exact same purpose. So, to that end, I could do better. I could do more. It would make me happy. (laughs) So, I tweeted like five years ago, and I still remember this, that one of the things that sucks about growing up is that nobody wants to go to Safeway at 2 a.m. with me anymore and riff on the frozen food products. I really miss the spontaneous hanging out. Like, I'm just, suddenly I'm with my friends. I don't even know how it happened. Like, I can't remember how, was I was I already hanging out with somebody and we went to Safeway? Did I just go grocery shopping in the middle of the night and so did they? I don't remember. But also, like, yeah, similar to your situation, uh, I get Winston to bed around eight, maybe, depending on the night. And then I have like two hours to spend before I go to bed. And I, my instinct is that I need to spend these two hours doing nothing or I'll be exhausted. Uh, and that might or might not be true. The other thing, this is actually this time we're spending right now is actually eating it into a little bit of, uh, Winston's awake time. So like April is handling putting him to bed by herself. And that's a little bit of an ask for her. And so like, you know, she's been generally very supportive of me having projects and spending time with my friends, but also like, I need to make sure neither of us go crazy. I I, I feel like it's come up in the more in the past few months, the idea of like, I should have friends over. I should just like, what these I could I should be hanging hanging out with friends on the weekends. We almost never do this. Um and when we do it's because like one of April's friends proposed something to us. I have my friends propose to, I tell them, "Hey, we should hang out. Why don't you send me a text about when we should hang out?" And they do. And it's much more reasonable because now someone's coming to us with a question, we've got to solve a problem. It's not my problem. It's our problem because it came to us. And uh, I've also discovered, I have a friend, uh, Nancy, who lives down the street, and she's 84. And I can hang out with Nancy anytime. Anytime. Yeah. The, the infinite, oh, it's so good of you. I'm just like, I am like winning so big here because I have a fantastic time hanging out as I would with any of my friends. But I get this, this free pass when I want to hang out with Nancy because, I don't know, there's some kind of like sense of it being a... Uh, uh, a gift or or a act of right. charity and like right right like much like how this this project that I'm doing right now is both a way to talk to friends and also a way to like put content on the internet for my audience they're waiting for you you've got to do it and i i wish i could like mentally separate like i i could just have weekly hangouts with my friends but that's it's just that much harder to justify the time yeah, it has a higher purpose. I, I think there there is something very magical about having an external, uh, like an external responsibility to hang out. So in this case, Jim, you're you're doing this because you've got to get you got to make your your next episode. Yeah, you know, you, it has to keep going. And likewise, I you know, again, relating things back to D and D with D and D, it's like you have a responsibility to the other people in your group. Because if you don't have enough people there, then you can't do it. And then they're yeah. all let down. And it's, it's kind of, a, I would argue it's kind of a double-edged sword too, because then you've given yourself another responsibility. But also, you've taken a little bit of the 
of the onus off of yourself, I guess, to to be the originator. You're just like, no, I mean, it's not. I, it's not that I want to hang out. It's that I got to make an episode. <laughs> no, so I didn't attack you uh, in in uh, you know Commander because uh, I wanted to. It's just because uh, I can't attack anyone else, and I, I kind of you know the game's not going to end if no one attacks anybody. So I'm just going to do it. It's not because I, I want to attack you. I just have to. It's it's my opinion. exactly. It's all about setting setting traps for yourself so that you have to do things that are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. That's another way to look at what, what I was talking about before, about when I was lamenting that I need to have I need to have a project that I can put in front of my audience. That's also just a useful life hack. Yep. That you can take advantage of. It's true. Jim, were you were you still living in our house when I was doing the song a week thing? I don't think so. Maybe there was, a, there was I don't I don't remember. Like I, somehow I thought when I forget when you moved out. It would have been like like maybe late twenty fifteen. Well, I I think I stopped sometime around then. So, but anyway, there was a time when I was like, "All right, every week I'm going to record a piece of music, and I'm going to post it up on a SoundCloud, and I'm just going to force myself to do this until I'm I'm tired of it." And I I think I did like a substantial like you know maybe maybe half a year I was doing that. Um, of course, now it's all very embarrassing, but but you got to start somewhere. Is it all that embarrassing though? All uh, of it. I mean, every last one. Not, not all. Not all of it. Some of it's embarrassing. Some, sometimes I'm, I'm like, I'm in the mood to feel the way that I felt in the fall of 2014, and it's going to take me back to the the circumstances of my life around that time. And it's like, do I want to go back there? Maybe I don't. Maybe things are fine now. Maybe I should. Maybe I should just record new stuff and not be stuck in in, in those in that time and place. Yeah, I have really embraced. Uh, making bad stuff and and jim oh, yeah. taught me this uh truly uh to just be like i remember when you just were like i'm gonna make music now and i was like but jim you don't know how and he was like <laughs> i'm doing it and like it was good because he just did it and uh and i think i've really embraced that like i write poems i write songs i do whatever the hell i want i share them i go on my company slack i drop songs in there they're one takes recorded on shitty microphone with cheesy lyrics. I'm just like, I am who I am. And I like, there's no value in hiding that stuff. It's still true. Is that, is that what we call living authentically? <laughs> you, you can call it that. It's what, it's what I aspire to. If I can, if I can get over my own hangups one day, <laughs> I start starting by appearing on topic Lords. Good luck. Oh boy. You got to start somewhere. That's true. Are we ready for another topic? It is. Sure. John, your topic is Deus Ex Revision is a mod for Deus Ex that changes maps just enough that it feels like a new game without losing what made the original special. Deus Ex was a video game came out in 2000, and it is still one of my favorite video games that I've ever played. And what I like about it is that it uses the first-person shooter format, but it, it, it's more of a role-playing game that has shooting elements in it, but it also has lockpicking, and it also has sneaking, and it also has diplomacy, like multiple ways to get around any particular challenge that you face. And and almost the entire game is set up that way, where you can, you know, you, you can either get into this base by talking to the guy who works at the front desk in the previous map, and then his buddies are help, you know, will, will help you out, or you can sneak in and lockpick and crawl underneath a thing to get to the place where you go. Anyway, to, it's it's a lovely game and and it's it's still fun, but the problem is that it looks like a game that was made in two thousand. 
you know, the graphics are not spectacular. Maneuvering, it has famously bad uh, enemy AI. Yeah, that game was written by three programmers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it feels and that way. They, yeah, yeah. They really leaned heavily on, like, basic Unreal Engine stuff that was not necessarily the best for that game. Yeah, and, and so, like, it doesn't really succeed in the shooter part of things, which is just as well. Like, there, there's there's more interesting things to do uh, in the game. But anyway, I, I still love it very much. And so I recently discovered that there, you know, this is one that has had a pretty good modding community. And there is a mod called Revision that does multiple things uh, to, to, to make it feel like a newer game. Um, one of the things it does is add new ammunition and new special unique weapons that you can only get from one particular person at, uh, at one time in, in the game, um, which is just kind of fun because the original game didn't really have that. There was nothing too unique about, about stuff. And another thing that I find really interesting is that they went back and recorded the entire main character script with a, a woman speaking the lines and they oh, updated. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, and they updated the, the model for it. And so now you can play through the game as a woman. And it, is that, is that selectable? Like, yeah, can you, you, pick, you, you can select at the beginning. You can pick that at, like in, is, I mean, I mean, is it selectable in like a game menu or do you have to swap it out like in a mod interface? I installed the mod through Steam. And I think I, I think it may be in the very beginning, like there's some, like when you when you create your character at the beginning, because you could always kind of like change yeah. the skin of your character, and now you can also change, uh, you know, play as a woman if you like instead of instead of just uh, JC the man, and and so they've re-recorded the entire audio that way, and they also make clever hacks to other pieces of the audio that other characters are speaking. So if someone says Mister, they'll just cut off the tur, so it just says Miss. You know, oh, hello, we are. Uh, I just wanted to say hi. I don't know if you can hear. John just said hello, hello so far. <laughs> okay. So, so good to yeah, see you, and thank you for thank you for being being uh, so diligent about putting the boy <laughs> to bed. As we've heard, you're you're doing the solo today. So did time. you did you hear any of that? I'm definitely a diligent person. Okay, you That's are. All I heard. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go. I That's thought you had different headphones thing. on. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> Headphone mistakes. Yeah, that was nice. So so this so this revision for you yes uh, yes um it's interesting hearing about this so uh little maybe foreshadowing uh there is a metric by which cultural impact in films is measured and it is the number of fan fiction released year on year within the universe of a given film or story Hmm. and notoriously Avatar not the last year but which is doing just fine but the james cameron film uh has one of the lowest indices for this that there's like no I mean, there's fanfic obviously there's fanfic we should talk about this now because i just swapped out john's topic uh john you need, you need to call me out when i make mistakes like this oh no i had your avatar topic because i forgot about the big mike topic which is oh, way more no. important good so we're, we're gonna we talk are, about we are, we're, we're doing it live yeah, we're doing so, it live. So after the poem, we're going to be talking about the big mic. So we can talk about Avatar now. So so I haven't seen Avatar. And I'm going to see Avatar. Not missing much. Yeah. That's what everyone saying. says. But I have a 3D projector in my home. 
So I think it will be less uh, inauthentic than it might otherwise be watching it on, for example, a, a two-dimensional viewing apparatus. Um, but my point here is not to talk about Avatar, but to say Deus Ex, having a mod like this speaks to it having had some cultural impact on oh, yeah. the gaming it's community. Very, it was very like, beloved. This just doesn't come out with a fully recorded audio and a bunch of modifications, yeah. like unless there's a community of people for whom it was so important to them that they keep wanting to revisit, they want more of it. They, they're basically following the same impulse that, that fan fiction has narratively um, to create an experience that extends that. I think remasters of games also serve a similar purpose like Dark Souls or Demon's Souls Remastered, even though those are pretty contemporary games to be remastered. Speaking of, of that as well, I remember for a long time there was an image macro going around that had a screenshot of Deus Ex that said, as if you mention it, they will reinstall it. And honestly, like that, that's kind of true because every time I start thinking about it again, I'm like, yes, now is the time to go back. And that's kind of why I, but I did that again this time. I was reading something about it. I'm like, that was Symphony of the Night. I just, every year, <laughs> eventually the urge is, ir is irresistible. I have to go in and speed I mean, run the thing. Nothing wrong with playing the hits. So, but the, but the thing that I was that I was really excited about talking about this about this uh, this mod though is so something something really strange. So I, I explained all all the cosmetic changes that we know are like okay, improve textures, improve you know HD uh, t textures and stuff to it. Um, but one of the things that I was not expecting is that several of the maps have whole new additions to them that someone had had to go in and actually remake these maps. So that they have new secrets, um, the, notably in the uh, in the uh, second map is the you go into the UNATCO building and you kind of go around and have these social interactions with people. They have installed an entire gun range in that in that building. The way that the staircases and the offices are structured are all over the place, different, but you still can talk to the same people. And they added a server room that you can go into has no purpose. There's nothing that happens in that server room, but you can go in. You can you can hack into a computer and find out what the code is. You can in input the code and you can go into the server room. Nothing there. Nothing there at all, but it's just like this is this is a tech place. There should be a server room. So th the result of this though is that I'm I'm playing through this game and I'm having trouble remembering do, did I did I get this wrong? Am I in the wrong place or has someone actually gone and changed the map so that it's a different experience now? And and I'm I'm finding more like I you know since I since this has happened to me I've I've gone and done some reading about it and and yeah they they've just they've changed maps entirely and and things are harder to find than they used to be and there are new super duper secret places that you can sneak around on the tops of roofs to 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 get to it, it's just blowing my mind and I'm like finding myself still thinking about it and wanting to go back and play more um, that, like I haven't beaten this game I usually play like the I'll play the first five maps and I'll give up but like now I want to, now I want to see what else is different now it's cool to get to rediscover that re-experience it I know yeah and long enough after playing it that you're not certain exactly what was in the original yeah and until I confirmed that that was the case though I was like gaslighting myself that I that I was just bad at this game and I didn't know where anything was and, but now of course yeah and anyway it, it's it's brilliant and I I am trying to think of other ways that Games like this could be remixed and updated to to put in cool new stuff. I, I can't think of any other examples of this level of, of modification that where it's st it's still the same game, but it's you know it's not a total modification, not a total remake of, of, of something else, but it's 
but it's just got just enough different about it that it, that it feels fresh. The example that comes to mind for me is um, this is an official product, a Mario 64 DS, uh, the, the, yeah. the DS port slash remaster of Super Mario 64. Um, it fixed a lot of the problems with the original game in terms of like, it took out most of the bad levels, not the bad levels, but the bad objectives in the levels. And new characters. Yeah, added new characters, new playable characters, and added a bunch of new objectives as well. And so, like, it's like the game's like 30% bigger, and also most of the bad stuff is gone. Uh, and the the downside of that port is that you have to play it with a, a D-pad, which is a problem. Uh I've talked about this on the show multiple times recently, but uh, I found uh, and will link to a mod of that game, which adds analog stick support back in. And the mod (laughs) takes the place of like, it's both a ROM patch and an emulator patch. So you have to patch both the ROM and the emulator, and then you can play Mario 64 with an analog stick. It's very good. So, so, sorry, just to confirm, this is, so the modification is to the DS version. Yes. Is that right? Okay, so it modifies the DS game, and it also modifies the DS emulator such that you could play with an analog stick. Yes, that's that right, is, yeah. That is commitment. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's super playable. I, um, I played the whole thing. It's on YouTube if you want to take a look. I've, I've caught snippets here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about Lady Denton. Yes. The Lady Denton mod. Uh, which I played. I didn't know it was incorporated into this larger mod. I played the mod that's just the gender reversal when right. it came out. Uh, and I thought it was good. I thought like the, the actress did a good, like JC Denton, um, <laughs> famous for having a terrible, like, like this is, this is on purpose. This is like, right. they, they wrote lines for, for the actor to say, but they didn't know like, the inflection the player would want to put in them. So they told the actor, just don't have any inflection. Just say it like gravelly monotone for everything. There are wrong answers in the world <laughs> of audio direction, it turns out. And uh, the actress does the same thing. So good job. And for the rest of it, like they re-recorded some lines that refer to the main character's gender. But some of them, like I loved the ones where like the kid says, hey, mister to you. And they yeah. just cut out the ER from the audio, so it's hey miss. <laughs> it's it's, just, it's clever, right? Like it's, it's just it's very good. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it it's another way, which again, simple like simple change doesn't actually change the gameplay at all, but it just like makes it feel fresh, <laughs> breathes new life into it. Yeah, agreed. Are we ready for another topic? I think we are. Yeah. Uh, my topic is Napster pranks and more generally fun with the early internet's poor security. Uh, What's a Napster prank? <laughs> I'm going to tell you about my Napster pranks. Your Napster pranks. These are Jim's Napster pranks. So you're the one who like who uploaded Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride and said that it was by the Matthew Good Band. No, but I was inspired by things like that. Okay. <laughs> so this is a thing about... So, so Napster... Um, presumably people know that this is this was a peer-to-peer like the first peer-to-peer file sharing service the fun part about napster is that you could put any file on it and name it anything and it would come up in a search under that file name and people would download it from you and not only that they could like send you chats and so like if you have an idea like oh i bet 
I bet Baby MacGyver would be a fun TV show. I'm going to search for Baby MacGyver and it'll like come one video comes up and you download it. And it turns out it's like someone, a video of someone's kid that they thought was doing something smart. And then they like, they'll, they'll send you a DM to ask you what you thought of their baby. Uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a real thing that could happen. Is is this a real thing that happened to you? No, that was a that's a thing that happened to a friend of mine. That, that, say, that told is a me. very specific example. <laughs> well, examples are more fun when they're specific. Yeah, I was gonna say like that, that's a great example of of how how much the Wild West the early internet was. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so how what you I like what, my what, baby is definitely not <laughs> something that you send people like messages about in twenty twenty two. Another thing that would happen to, that did happen to me, uh, I remember f- like downloading a song where someone had put like notes about the song in in parentheses in the file name. It was like a concert version of a U2 track. And in parentheses, it's like, this is the best version of this song I've ever heard. So I downloaded that because I want to hear the best version of the song. And then people would like get it from me and ask me why I thought it was the best version. Because... <laughs> Because they attributed that to me. Uh, Authorless uh, messages. Or yeah. Like, uh, it's, like, it's, like tw- it's like Twitter, except, you know, instead of retweeting something with, like, you know, the retweet icon, you just, you just post it as your own. Right, right, it's, right. It's, cl- yeah. it's close to the red soapstone messages, honestly. <laughs> it, yeah, it actually. That's a, that's a really interesting comparison. Uh, and similarly, it has a great uh, potential for pranks. So the Napster prank. What did you do? What I did was I took um, songs from my band, and I actually wrote a script to do this. I wrote a script to scrape the the Billboard Hot 100. I got all the song and artist names and named my songs those names. Uh, And then um, I extended the the file length to a plausible uh, track length to like what would be like appropriate for something that's on the pop charts. Were you like were your songs like forty five seconds long? A lot of them were under a minute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Except now that they were now they're three minutes long, but just done by that's done by like repeating the last five seconds forever. <laughs> I I so I forget with Napster. Could you see how long the file is? Like the yeah, time? You could, you, I, could, you, could, okay. you could see the. I know that you could see this file size. I'm not sure if you could see the length, like in okay. time. I don't remember. But, but you could plausibly, if you know, an MP3 is about four megabytes for a for a, a reasonably length song. You right. Just need to pad it out that way, huh? Right. Right. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, so what was the result? Did anyone download your songs and be like, "Yeah"? The result was that people yelled at me. <laughs> that was the result. Anyone uh, be like, "Hey, this isn't this isn't." Uh, no, I didn't get any fans. Okay. No fans okay. <laughs> on the, for, for my band's music. I, I have an anecdote from the era of poor internet security. It's not. It's a prank, but it was a very benign prank. But it was, I think it's timely, which was when I was in college. Uh, a friend of mine was in um, CS class with me, and I was doing my own thing because I didn't. The, the classes weren't super stimulating for me at that time. So I made, I, I decided I would make a, a peer-to-peer network server client setup uh, that would automatically match make. And so I wrote this. And I was like, what's the first thing you're going to write? Well, it's going to be a chat client. So I write a chat client, but I decided I'm going to have a, a little fun. And I told her I'd written an AI that you could chat. 
And so I did my own reverse Turing test where she got on and I got on and I did my best impression of being an AI, sending messages, getting tripped up, all that kind of thing. And it totally worked. Like <laughs> she was completely taken in, even though like the sophistication of what I was doing has only been met in the last two or three years. And this was like 2002. Um, but yeah, that was, I, I still look back on that. I don't think she knew. I wonder if she knew that if she was in on the joke or not. She never said anything about it. And I kept being like, I thought for sure she was going to notice. But at a certain <laughs> point, it was too late to say anything because it had gone on so long that like she would think I had made a fool out of her. And that was not my intention. But we were so far in at that point. It was like after 30 minutes, it's like, can we still be friends if I tell you that this was a joke? <laughs> I, I feel like like this is the basis for an early 2000s romantic comedy. <laughs> Right, like, right, right. They become like chat she buddies. Fall, she falls in love with the AI. Yeah. Oh my god, not, that's actually it's, a good it's, premise. Like, that's a, a modern, legit good it, premise. It's a modern take on like Cyrano de Bergerac, right? Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. <sighs> yeah. That's not bad. I mean, for real. You know, if I were ambitious enough to try uh, something good, but I'll tell you, if I was going to make uh, a real life experience into a movie, it would not be that one. It would be Philly Boys, which is. Uh, when I was in college, a couple of friends of mine played a game where they would be like, is it a porn site? And the idea is you'd type, you'd, you'd, you'd type in a URL that sounds porn site And if it was or wasn't, you'd drink. I forget what it was. I never played this game, <laughs> but they love this game. So they would. So one night, they end up going to this site, and they're like, Philly boys, because we're in Philadelphia. And they're like, that's got to be a porn site. And they go, and, and it's, it's not a porn site. It's just this this holding site. And one of the guys has been studying law, so he's like, I'm going to write a cease and desist letter and say that we need the site. For porn. Because we, uh, we, we have our own gay porn site, and we want the, the domain, you know, uh, you have to give us a domain. Turns out it was owned by a law firm in Philadelphia who then... Oh, no... <laughs> Wrote to the wrote back to the school and explained that there had been this incident. And the thing was, they were in legal trouble unless they had a gay porn site. At which <laughs> point, they would no longer be in legal jeopardy. So the stage is set. <laughs> so they Billy fabricated boys. evidence. They made a gay porn site, and they in fact did not get expelled. But the internet use uh, contract for the campus was drafted that year. And everyone the next year <laughs> had to sign a bunch of things about what they would and would not do while they were using the campus internet. And they call it the Philly Boys Act. <laughs> the Philly Boys Clause. <laughs> but anyway, if anyone wants to make the movie Philly Boys, it is like ready to go. That's real good. That's a good story. Solid hijinks. Are uh, we ready for another topic? What's topic? Sure. So for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem... The Last Titan by Tim Ambrogi. Tim, are you hey. you're, you're ready for this? Are you ready to, to share this with the world? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I shared it on my work Slack. Do you want to give a context before? Yeah, that's that's probably more people there than listen to this show. Hey, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. Well, do you want to give context for this before or after? I, I'll give a small bit of context to it, uh, enough to appreciate it in real time as opposed to in retrospect, um, but, but very little. Um, uh, I... My wife, her um, grandfather is this awesome dude. Uh, he's like a, a 
he, he basically created the satellite system as a scientist for the U.S. He's 94 years old. And a bunch of the fundamental math of how satellites coordinate uh, and communicate is, uh, is by him. And he still works. He's this awesome, smart guy. Um, and last February, he, his last friend died. Like, his, his last friend. He went to their funeral. And he said, like, he didn't know what else, why he was still here. And it was sort of moving to me, like, to hear this guy's, you know, full possession of his wits, just kind of like, why am I here? Why, why, wh- what's, what's left of my world? So anyway, I, uh, I wrote a poem that jumped out at me while I was uh, thinking about that one night. Shall I recite? Please. Too cruel, too quiet. He will not be missed. The titan buries the last of its kin, an old god, his glory lost to memory, once mighty worshipped, weary and worn now, ground down by the burden of each loss. They've all left him, at first like party-goers called away before the dancing had begun. But as the long night of life drew on, and all the fun was ended, and the hall grew quiet, the night sky alone looked on with pity. He lingers now with cold silence his only companion. There none remain who bore witness to his triumphs, to his beauty, to the long journey he took and the ones he loved along the way, the laughter and dreams and all the noise in between. Now he bears this absence alone. None remain to return that simple honor, that solemn remembrance he gave to them each in their passing. He will not be missed. Too quiet, too cruel. Jazz hands. And scene. Wow. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's a rough one. (laughs) But also, like, he's got grandkids. Like, they're they're still around. Well, this was this was coming out of the COVID pandemic, also. Oh, and he Ooh. wasn't living Oof. near us. He was in Wisconsin, living alone. Um, that was it. Like at that point, he's moved near us now since then. Oh, okay. And he's doing way better. He's close. He sees the kids. He comes for dinner once a week. See him for lunch literally every day. Uh, so it's changed. But it was in the wake of that. Everyone yeah. realizing this was like way over the line and there was nothing left and that something needed to happen. And, and I think it's, it's about of a positive thing that something did. But uh, this, this got me thinking a little bit when I was writing this about artifacts and the value of artifacts. In the background, you guys can see this because we have cameras, but, but the podcasters will miss out. Um, I have a, a desktop computer over there and that computer is named Roboticus. And when I, it was 2009, we, we made our own indie game studio, which we made Jamestown uh, uh, with. Uh, and that computer was our server. And it survived. It still runs. All the source code we ever made, every prototype that we built, everything, is and was stored on that machine. And the company is essentially gone now. I mean, you know, I'm alive. Everybody's still kicking. Hallie and, and Mike are still around, but we don't. We don't work together anymore. And what was interesting to me is that I was like, I should get rid of that old desktop. And I realized that it was there through all of that. It it was in the room with us for everything that we did. And there's pretty much no other artifacts of that time that that have that. And the idea of wiping that memory bank and, and decommissioning the machine was a really, it was impossible. That's why I still have it. It's just... Um, it's it's severing this connection to um, to that past, you know, the last witness to 
what happened that no one else really actually knows uh, other than, you know, the three of us and, and that machine. So anyway, I was thinking about that as well when I wrote this, that um, at some point in time, it's just objects left that were there when when your life happened. And the only yeah. people you can still connect to weren't there. I wasn't there when any of I He was 60-something when I was born, you know, or 50-something. Or, or uh, and um, there's nobody who remembers his childhood. The end. They're all dead. And I think there's just something about that, that, you know, what, what it must feel like to look on a diorama of dusty objects as the only uh, connection you have to past time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my grandparents started dying, like I had just like a couple of weeks before my grandpa died, I had a real conversation with him for basically the first time in my life. And we talked a lot about like what, about his career, what he had worked on. Um, and he wasn't really all there. Like he was, uh, apparently an extremely funny guy before, you know, he had, I think it was a, I think it was a heart attack. And, and then when my grandma died, I remember going through, we were going through her stuff and found this photo of her friends, all of whom were also dead. And I was just like, one, one of them was like doing some goofy shit in the, in the background. And I was just like, no one knows who this goofball is. I bet she was really cool. I, and it, it really bummed me out. The idea that like these people just get forgotten, like at, at best, like your kids are going to remember you, maybe your grandkids. And that's, then that's it They're And if they tell you their, their kids about you, it'll be like, like a two sentence bio or whatever, you know? Um, although yeah. notably, like I, I, I think about this a lot about how, uh, after I'm dead, People, there's, there are going to be hundreds of hours of me talking about things that are exciting to me that are still going to be around. And also this, this video series where I'm playing Mario games, that's going to be around, for example. And there's also like my art, my work, you know, my body of work, which is less about like, I think it's less of interest in that way. I think that's more like, you know, you maybe, maybe you live on through your work in some, in some abstract way, but I think like much more interesting is going to be this stuff that like the podcast, I think, um, could potentially be really interesting to the, to my, um, my grandchildren, for example. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have a ton to add on, on top of that other than to say, Tim, that was very moving. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that story about, uh, about the computer too, because, I'm, I mean, that's something that's really important to me is just like the loss of, of external memory, uh, and, you know, having significance attached to objects that by themselves are rather just objects, but, but, you know, they, something that captures a time and a place, um, in that way. I mean, I, and, you know, half an hour ago, I talked about how I don't want to go back and look at what, what time and place I was in in 2014 by listening to music, but, but yeah, I'm I'm just yeah very very moved by it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing well, that. Yeah, I I, uh, I hope it is uh, of value to others. Whenever death comes up, I want I want to give this spiel, and I think I'm going to give it again, even though the listeners have heard this before. I, our existence on this planet is beautiful, and it's beautiful that we will be remembered for as long as we are remembered. But it's also beautiful that we existed, and it will remain beautiful that we existed even after. The last human is gone. Even after life becomes impossible, the fact that 
once there was this is amazing. And I really value that. Here, here. Agreed. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, that would have been a that would have been a, a fantastic end of the show, but uh, we've oh, got more time. The K-Bar <laughs> music kicks in, and we're like, and we're out. <laughs> um, John, your topic is Topic Lords update or a view of the. Uh, do you know how to, you know how to spell how to pronounce this French? Gros Michel. So I I listened to a piece on NPR where yeah. they were talking about banana history, and they were saying Gros Michel. Okay. So, aka Big Mike Banana. That's right. So, on episode, I think it was episode 16 or 17, we talked about how it's possible to buy this banana from Miami Look, Fruit. Looks like 17, yeah. A buzzsaw made of bananas is the show yes. name. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I think it's Fat Mike, by the way. I mean, maybe. For what I think it was hearing this piece on NPR where they were talking about bananas that I just remembered. Oh yeah, there's this banana that I've never tasted that that I think is uh, I would like to. So I went ahead and bought these bananas from this website, and they arrived at my house. Was it is it MiamiFruit.com? MiamiFruit.org. I think dot, dot org. Wow, it's an organization. I would. I we can we can correct that in the show notes if I'm if I'm incorrect. But <laughs> um, but yeah. So and you can order all sorts of interesting, strange uh, fruit from around the world. Uh, that they don't really grow in uh, in large quantities. And one was uh, this banana, which used to be the most sold banana in the United States uh, until Panama disease took over and caused it to become unsustainable to grow at scale, and at which point it was uh, subsumed by the Cavendish banana. Cavendish banana, is that the right? I believe yeah, so, Cavendish. yeah. But, but, and so that's, that's the banana that you buy in stores today. Every banana sold in the United States is a Cavendish banana, unless you get it from this website. So I said, you know, I'm, I consider myself a, a person who enjoys fancy food. I'm going to get this banana. Ordered a three-pound box of these bananas from Florida, from Miami Fruit. Uh, arrived a few days later. Had biodegradable packaging, which I found pretty cool because it was I, – I didn't know what I was, was going to get. Usually when you get a thing of bananas, you get like – I try to. I'm trying to show how to how it goes on this video, where it's like curved, and you know, you, there's several of them together. These were all like there were a couple of small bunches of like three or four, but mostly they were all loose. Um, I think there were about sixteen in total, and I was shocked to see how small they are. You know, normal Cavendish banana is about maybe like what seven or eight inches. These are like five or six. Very very small bananas, but they're comparably girthy. They are well. I mean. I, I think they are supposed. Uh, oh, is that an innuendo? Wait a minute. No, I, I, that's a point okay. of fact. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say Fat Mike is the the bassist for No FX. There we go. Oh, he he's the one that grows the bananas. Um, no, I don't. Uh, that's not true. And, but anyway, so so uh, other thing about them is that they are still. Th- so I haven't eaten all of them. This was like two weeks ago. I did this. I haven't eaten all of them because they're still green for the most part. Um, I think these were picked very very early. But a couple of them have matured and I ate them and um I don't I don't know what I expected <laughs> but but I but I know that I didn't expect to taste the flavor of electrolytes the same as you get in like Gatorade that kind of salty sweet flavor huh which it, it was it was shocking because I thought it was going to be mind blowing but it tasted like a banana but but just a little like a little more complex than a standard banana and um, 
I, I'm still like I'm, I'm wrestling with what to do because I've got many more of these left to, to do, you know, to, to eat. They're going to mature soon, and I'm not sure what else I want to do other than just eating a banana because it seems like it seems like if you're going to get this fancy banana that only grows under these dire conditions, you can't just go and eat them. You gotta you gotta like make a fried banana or something, or you know, put you gotta them, have like a tasting them, party. Yeah, like tasting parties are fun. I do want to say though something that's coming to mind here, which is that I I got I'm an obsessive person, and at one point I got really into apples, oh. and uh, the way I am I got very into apples. So one year I think I had 45 different varieties of apples, and I did blind tastings and quantification, and um, and it was interesting. I did different uh, pies, I did little mini pies, and I mixed different combinations, pairs of different apples based on the characteristics and then anyway, it was, it was a bunch of stuff. It's what I do. Gosh. Uh, but what was interesting about it to me was I discovered that my science was fucked and I, <laughs> which was the specific apple you get can have wild variations in its qualities and not just in goodness, but in like specific aspects of it that you could choose to accentuate or deaccentuate. Um, by how it was grown, how it was stored, how old it is, how long it's matured, how long it was in cold storage, all that stuff. Um, and so as a result, I have ha since had some of the apples I didn't like or didn't care for or that I did care for and discovered that I feel entirely different about them um, because they don't really aren't the same taste experience that I had. So I wonder, as you talk about these Romichel apples, like, is it possible that the, the Romichel bananas, that uh, these are um, specifically not what you expected because these are maybe too young or they didn't ripen in the right circumstances or they're just a different soil or any number of things that are resulting in it being not actually the thing that you were hearing about, um, despite it being the correct DNA. Uh, I mean, certainly, but I think the, the even larger than that, the thing that comes to mind is that I don't really know what I expected. Um, the, the one thing that I heard about these was that this, the flavor of this banana is what the flavor of banana candy is based on. Yeah. So, so you know, understanding that though, you know, the taste of a banana and the taste of banana candy are, you know, they have things in common, but they're but they're not the same thing. I thought, wow, this is going to be so weird. I'm going to I'm going to taste this, and and then for it not to be that, um, I mean, it, it's yeah, perhaps there is something about this batch that is different from how they're normally grown. Honestly, like the fact that so few of these are like you can't grow these at scale, right? So. Perhaps um, you know the, the the variations are are more extreme, or you know there, there's not a wide range of different locations where it can come from. So um, the other thing is that your mood is going to be different, and like your your body chemistry at that moment is going to affect how you process these this food. And like the only way you can like if you don't eat ten thousand of these over the course of a lifetime. You can't really say you have a really good sense of what this banana is like. You just had it once. I do have a data point for you, though, hmm. which uh, I was just talking about Fred, uh, my grandfather-in-law. Um, uh, he remembers, and he has a very good memory. And he was yeah. around really? when they were just normal. And he says they taste pretty much as <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, so I, I about it. I got uh, a, a box of Miami fruit variety pack uh, for Christmas one year. I think shortly after we talked about this on, on Topic Lords. <laughs> a fantastic uh, Christmas gift, by the way. 
too bad this episode is going to come out next year. My experience, I tried a bunch of different kinds of bananas and my experience is that they're all, yeah, it's all, they all just taste like bananas. It's uh, basically <laughs> the same thing. And it made me feel a lot better about the Cavendish also facing imminent, uh, oh. imminent destruction via disease. And to, which will then be replaced by some other breed of banana, which will basically taste, basically taste the same as well. The idea that we have to discover these, like, oh, the Cavendish, it's <laughs> the great banana, or oh, the Grumi Shell. We can make fruit from whole cloth now. Like, our genetic engineering <laughs> science, like, oh, that, that's very quaint. Oh, you, you, you just, uh, you, you found this one somewhere in some part Me? of Central America. Adorable. <laughs> I got the grocery store. We found these grapes that were like cotton candy flavored grapes. Yeah. 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 And they Isn't were there... basically just sweeter as far as I could tell. Well, there was a point where they just did uh polyploidy as the method of like fattening up fruit. They were just like, what if we threw more chromosomes in there? <laughs> it just makes them bigger. Like those giant strawberries. You remember those? Just warp, And they're like the size of like a human heart. And you're like, wow, you really. Size I'm and really... flavor. Supersized it, um, but the the techniques are really different now. They can just actually engineer larger fruit uh, and have all the disease characteristics and all that kind of stuff at a much higher rate. With apples too, I mean, if you just look at the um, the apples that have come out, it's really interesting. How Wasn't many. there an apple a while ago that that was like an apple that had the flavor of a grape? Graples, yeah, graples, graples. Oh, well, who knows? Uh, that was just soaked. That was just soaked in syrup, I believe. Yeah, I, I, that's what I heard is that really? those were just okay. like injected with grape flavor as opposed to mo- genetically modified. It, 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 was just, it was just a good marketing campaign. But no, but no, hold on. Hold on. We say just. Okay, are we here for a feat of biological engineering? Or are we here for a taste sensation? If it tastes like grapes and it has a texture of an apple, have we not achieved... The, the stated goal. <laughs> well, listen, the the context of an experience affects the experience. Like, how many people died to bring me this apple? Look, deception, okay, is 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 a valid uh, way of creating an experience. If, if we true. deceive people into believing something about how this apple... Put I said, a totally oh. fake body count on there. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like, oh, well, <laughs> now it's special. Now well, I can't eat... I can't not eat it now. See, originally the grape flavor came from cyanide, and then they realized right. it wasn't. Okay. Also an experience. Not as marketable. <laughs> anyway. <New> topic. To, <laughs> to, 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 to wrap it up, these bananas are certainly a banana that you can you can eat if you want an interest. I, one thing about them that I will say, one, th- one very, very positive thing, very good mouthfeel. Hmm. Texture is, is under underappreciated in like what yeah. distinguishes one uh, yeah. fruit from another. Yeah, I find Cavendish bananas often to be kind of mealy, um, but these were these are very smooth. Yeah, if they could only make bananas that that have the crispness of apples, that would be uh... banapples. <laughs> banapples. Uh, Tim, your topic is: if AI can tell better stories than you, is it still worth telling them, and why? I posed this question to Jet, Chat GPT, and I'm sold. <laughs> it is uh-huh. still worth writing. The the AI is fairly confident that they're still worth telling. Um, but no, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about like, did it have a cogent argument? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a collection of arguments that humans would make. Okay. Okay. Um, more of a survey of possible answers than a very (laughs) incisive take. 
Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just had this thought, which is like, um, there's this whole thing about art is dead with AI and, 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 you know, high school English is dead, which I honestly, has it ever been alive? But like, I was thinking about, <laughs> ouch, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, English teachers. Uh, my mom's an English teacher, so I think, am I allowed to, anyway, um, so, <laughs> uh, but I was thinking like, if you have a story to tell, right, that active expression feels to me like, you know, if you, if you tell a story to nobody but yourself, which I've done, I wrote, I wrote a, a novel that has been read by a single human being myself and it was great. And I'm really glad I wrote it. And the reason to share it would mostly be to, to Jim's point of like, this would be a nice thing to give to my kids, see my voice, see my ideas. But, um, I'm positive that if I gave the prompts for each chapter to an AI in 20 years, like they're going to cr crush me on like every aspect of that storytelling. Um, if things continue in, in the direction that they're heading, I was thinking like, is it where, where maybe less is, is it still worth telling you? Why is it, why does it feel like it's still worth telling? Discussing? Oh, it's, I mean, the short version is that it's important for humans to make art. Like we're wired to make art. And if we don't make art, we're unhappy. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I agree with that. And also um, something about just the the writing of it, like that that's part of it, certainly. But but if it's just an assemblage of words and story beats based on probabilistic models of text and everything else, then sure. Um, but also the, there's there, there's something about the the authoring of it, too, like the expression of it. That is that is something that can't really be replicated. I don't know. I I, I almost feel like I'm I'm going to relate this back to D and D once again. Um, so I there's a character who I who I play in my D and D game, and I've written a lot of the backstory for this character. And one of one of the things uh, about playing that character is that she tends to be unpredictable, and she tends to to be an agent of chaos and everyone around her has an expectation of of who she is and how she reacts to things and so in the in the playing of it oftentimes i will look at what the options are and go in a direction that no one expects and does it does it make a better story i don't know sometimes does it make a less predictable story i hope so and and, and so the idea of just being faced with what you know how might this story go down if 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 we were to give this prompt to something that is that specializes in writing these stories? Would that storytelling apparatus make the non-optimal choice? Um, and and would that be interesting or unexpected or you know would it be the wrong call in the time? And I don't know. And I think I think the the not knowing is is uh, where the, where the human component comes into it. Um, where sometimes I, I I'm thinking about well actually. I was I was going to tell the story of uh, Gary Kasparov versus Deep Blue, but that actually goes counter to my point. Which I don't know if you've heard that. Do you know about that one? I was alive during it, but maybe there's a specific anecdote. Yeah, I lived through it. The, the specific anecdote is that Gary Kasparov is playing against this computer, and he was he was like holding his own against the computer, and then the computer made a move that really flustered him. That he was just like. Why did the computer make this move? What does the computer know that I don't? And he got so over his skis about it that he resigned the match because he's just like, I, I can't. Clearly, this this 
this thing is operating at a level that I don't understand and I'm going to lose it if I keep playing. So he resigned the match. And then it turned out that the reason that, that the computer won was because there was a bug in the code where if it can't find a move that is going to cause it to win, it just makes any legal move. And the legal move that it made was so ridiculous that Gary Kasparov's just like, nope, I, I can't do it. I can't. I don't understand how to do it. In fact, he had, he had logically checkmated it, but didn't realize it yet. <laughs> yeah, it, literally, that's what happened. Yeah, like, and 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 so so the day was saved by by a, by a bug by randomness. So, but I but I, but again, it's like, could you could you teach a computer to do that to the you know to the point where it would it would fluster this yeah, guy? Could you teach a computer to get flummoxed? <laughs> yeah. is, is that the? Oh. I, I mean, I would you have to? I mean, yeah. if you think of it, you know, an AI has its own voice, uh, which is the function of the input set. And right. that voice is going to be constrained to whatever it was fed. But I mean, humans right. are similar in that way. And what yeah. we want, I think the thing that an AI doesn't have really is the sensor to appraise in an individualistic way what it is experiencing because it's getting an aggregate right. data set and it's not going to know where the valleys are between the peaks of stimulation. There's yeah. one stimulating joke and another joke and it can't go between those it can't know the individual sense of humor of maybe 0.1 percent of the population for which this hits versus statistical average which is never going to say that that hits uh i think that's mostly it doesn't have its own sensors um and the only way you get that is if you trained it on a really specific data set at which point you're almost defining those characteristics explicitly because it's such an it's such a, right. it's such a specific curation of the data set that it's not actually learning that you are absolutely showing it that yeah. um so yeah i i feel like maybe with enough data eventually i'm sure not even maybe definitely eventually but like our brains don't learn um that about other people our brains learn that about ourselves a single data point that we have uh, an enormous amount of feedback about and um I don't know that that's something in AI, like we can't write for, writers can't write for everybody. They can write for some set of audiences, which they bear similarity to. Um, and sometimes they have that specific voice resonates with someone for a specific way, for a specific reason. So that, that was kind of what I was thinking about with it. Is, yeah, I can write more specific stories. <laughs> I wanted to get into the idea, and this relates back to the idea that you should separate the art from the artist. Like the under, under capitalism and under like a global art marketplace, the purpose of art becomes to make the best possible art. And the purpose of consuming art is to be entertained by the best pop possible art. But, and that's, that's the only a purpose. That's a that purpose. Is, well, that, that, right. And, and I'll, I would take issue with the word entertained, but stimulate. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Uh, and that's the only context under which the, the idea of separating the art from the artist even makes sense. Um, the, what I'm thinking about is how, when I say humans are wired to make art, I they're they're wired to make art like for an audience of like twenty people of their twenty friends specifically, and like when when you think about like well what's the purpose of that? Like obviously the the idea is that the the purpose of art is to bond better with your friends, and that is still something that can happen with art even if AI is still making the best art. Because if you're creating something that you can share with your friends and then they say, yes, I see right. elements of you in this and this is this reminds me of the things that I enjoy about you. And this is, I think, why people want to 
get to know artists as people and want to believe that the artists share their values is because they're trying to get a little bit of that into their lives as well. I, I think part of the reason they can they want to know the artist and connect to them. I have a theory about this, which came from a book I read recently called uh, Sound in Motion, which is a book about music expressiveness and, and performance by a, a Curtis professor. And it talks about this idea that um, when a performer is feeling emotions while they play a piece of music, there is the illusion that the audience is feeling those emotions and the performer is feeling that illusion and the the person watching the performance is feeling that illusion but obviously if you just take a tiny step back the performer's feeling their feelings and the viewers the listener is feeling their feelings they are aligned or they are perceived to be aligned but the performer may in fact not be feeling those feelings but be performing and the same is true of acting and the whole point of a professional performance is often that they can perform that no matter how they're feeling. But the illusion is still there that they're sharing that emotion, that that is a shared experience between them. I think that um, a part of why people want to connect with artists and authors and so on is because they felt that they shared that emotional experience with the uh, artist or the performer. Um, that might be a component of it. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Oh, but what about Mario Coins? Kmart music. Sorry, the Kmart music, is that like when the store is closing and they play the goodnight theme? No, it's just Kmart had sick jams. I'll send you a link. DJ Kmart. <laughs> uh, John, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? In the in the case that Twitter is still around when this airs, uh, I'm on Twitter as, or at least I, I may still be on Twitter as uh, RoboHunkX. And if you want to find me on other social media platforms, I have uh, I've beaten the great social media land rush and have claimed the handle Robohunk on most social media platforms. So if you find one and you you go searching around, that'll that'll probably be me, or it'll be the guy who got Robohunk without an X on Twitter who has tweeted exactly once in the last decade. Bastard. I I mean. May not matter. May not matter for much longer. Who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, and Tim, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Well, if, if you felt that we shared an emotional connection and would like to get to know me better on the internet, um, yeah, you, you'll know me by the things that I make. I uh, have made a number of video games, two of which are good. Uh, one is called uh, Jamestown. I guess also Jamestown Plus, the, the expanded version of it. The other That's is, the two. Is, yeah, no, the pathless. The pathless, I think. Is okay, true. yeah. Uh, which I worked on. Oh man, you're not you're not proud of Smarty Pants. I have, you know, I love all my children, but I'm just trying to play <laughs> favorites here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Brain Quest DS, man, that was sick. Booty blocks, whatever. Um, but uh, oh, I'm so sad you can't get booty blocks anymore. I, I, it's a, does not even go there. It's, it's too, too painful. Um, and, uh, and if you are interested in C++ coroutines, and I know you are, uh, github.com slash westquote slash squid tasks, and you can have it. It's yours for the taking, uh, you know, going fast. All right. Thanks so much for being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter.
If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!